Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. I am so glad to be uh, here with you today. I love Mondays, and today is kind of a special Monday because the show has shifted just a little bit. It's moved from 3 to 5 Central Time to 4 to 6 Central Time, and it's going to be quite lovely to have uh, that time, which is normally designated as drive time for a lot of people. Uh, I did realize that their listenership was significantly up in Hartford, Connecticut. I'm thinking, hmm, that's when they're in their car driving home, isn't that time? So we're going to be 4 to 6 Central, and I know there's going to be a lot of opportunities when people get back to their normal routine of life and they're back into their normal um, uh, commuting, that there will be time that you'll be in the car and probably get a chance to listen to more of the show. That's what I hope. And I know Susie Larson was on with her show from 3 to 4 this afternoon, so you're getting a fairly big dose of of the uh, local programming here at Faith Radio. So you get Susie from 3 to 4 and me from 4 to 6, so it's going to be a great, great uh, shift, I hope. I hope you all like it. And I uh, let me know if, if you're excited about it as we are, and if you're uh, in the car today, and if you normally uh, are commuting from 5 to 6, you'll, you will not hear Alistair Begg tonight, uh, so you'll hear me. Okay. Uh, with that said, I'm excited to welcome back to the program Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and theologian, and you know he's a regular guest once a month on the show. Always glad to have him on. And uh, Ken, welcome back. Hi, Bill. It's really good to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, you are in uh, su- sunny California today. I am, yes. It is uh, It is sunny here, and I uh, certainly have been praying for, for you and for uh, all the folks there in Minneapolis and... Uh, uh, you know, these have been difficult things, but uh, we we stay faithful uh, to our commitment to the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Now you've got some of your own excitement out in Los Angeles, don't you? Well, there have uh, there has been unrest here in uh, Los Angeles and in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA is, of course, a very large city, and uh, just like in various uh, large cities across the country, been real concern and. Uh, you know, uh, a, a, a lot of concern uh, in things like looting and arson and things of that nature. And I think there is, in the city I live in, just outside of L.A., there is a very early uh, curfew. Oh, wow. What city do you live in, Ken? I live in Riverside. Okay. It's a little further. Yeah, I know Riverside. From LA. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, now, I've got a couple of questions, and then I know we've got a good topic to talk about today, but I was uh, in my Bible study last week, and we were um, talking about the relationship that uh, Job had, um, being a righteous man of God, and all of a sudden, you know, Satan uh, gets in God's company and says, well, look at your servant Job, you know, he only obeys because life is good for him, mm-hmm. and uh, then as it happens, God says, well, you can, you can have that testing opportunity with him, 
And I said something like every sort of difficult, challenging experience you have in your life has got to go through God first. It's got to be checked in. You, and, I, and I had some pushback on that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, you know what's interesting? Job is a very interesting book for a couple different reasons. One, it may be one of the very oldest, even though it's not the first book of the Old Testament. Uh, biblical scholars think that it is very, very old. And then secondly, you know, relating to your point, um, the book of Job really gets into some of the sticky issues of life. Um, you know, I, I think it's very important to try to direct your question. Uh, I think it's very important to recognize that while we are uh you know, we are free agents in the sense that we're we're people with agency. Everything passes through God's sovereignty. God is uh, the creator, sustainer, and controller of all things. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm, here I'm thinking about you know Philippians one eleven, various other passages. So, um, I think one of the reassuring things about going through difficult times is that the Lord is in control. I mean, imagine if you were living in a world where you have great difficulties and evil is not in any way checked or passed through God's sovereign will. That would be a pretty scary experience. It really would. Um, so when difficulties come in, like even what we're having in the world right now, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of evil going on. Uh, would you agree? I do. Okay. Yes, I do. And is this free will? Did Did... Did the evil have to somehow check in with God? Then God's saying, I will allow this, or what do you, I'm still trying to sort this out. Well, I, uh, I certainly think that uh, what, we have in, what we have in Christianity, and I, I, would, I would take kind of the old classical view of uh, God's sovereignty and, and human freedom or human responsibility, I believe mm-hmm. in compatibilism, Compatibilism is the idea that while uh, humans have genuine free agency, that uh, God is still in control. And so I would uh, I would argue that you know somebody may decide tonight to to burn a building down or to break in uh, and do harm, or you know there there may be physical harm done to people, uh, either either protesters or. Uh, policemen, but I would argue that God is in control of that, meaning meaning that um, He allows it, but that doesn't mean that He condones it. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it is not evil, but it, it means ultimately that God is going to work it uh, for His good. We we may not directly see that. I mean, I think essentially, Bill, when uh, Job has his little tete take with the Lord after all of this truckload of disaster that throws flows through his life i think i think the very point of job is that god essentially says to job job um you don't possess the intellectual moral or spiritual abilities to totally understand what i'm doing but i want you to completely trust me and to know that i love you and that i am a god of justice and that's a hard tension to live in. I mean, mm-hmm. you're living right there at the very flashpoint of what's been happening the last uh, uh, week or so. Uh, 
that's a tough tension to live in. But again, imagine if you had no confidence that God is in ultimate control of the world. Uh, boy, if there's real evil in the world and God can't control it, man, that's a tough spot. Yeah, that's so true. And as I'm uh, reading in First uh, Samuel 16 this last week, I ran across this verse. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Of course, you always kind of scratch your head when you get to verses like that. And I think, I wish I was an Old Testament scholar, which I'm not. Well, I'm not specifically an Old Testament scholar, but I, I, I certainly think those passages are challenging to us. But I, I still think it, it supports the idea that God is so great and uh, so wise and so loving that he can actually uh, use evil for his own very good purposes. And uh, that's a remarkable thing, that, that the Lord has the great capacity to bring good and uh, to bring blessings out of things that other people intend for evil. And that's one of the reasons we worship the Lord, because he is so glorious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true, Ken. I, I love that you've just made that point, and it's so right on. Now, it's when, when we hear news reports, and it doesn't matter what it's about, we always hear uh, the news and, the, and the, whoever is giving it, then you might want to go to another station to get another take on it. Um, but there's always that idea, and we're going to talk about this today, that people can have three lives. They can have a public life, they can have a private life, and they can have a secret life. And how in the world do we know really what's going on with a person? Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I came across that quotation by, it's a, a Colombian novelist named Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and it just hit me, and, and Bill, the reason it hit me was, I think it, it says a lot about the human condition, and the Bible in historic Christianity has a lot to say about what it means to be human and what it means to battle a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be what we're going to chat about today with Ken Samples. Uh, you are absolutely welcome to send me a text question if you hear something that Ken says that you'd like some clarification on or you want to ask a question you can send a text to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Does everyone have three lives? Is there a public life, a private life, and a secret life? That's what we're going to be chatting with Ken Samples today. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. He's a philosopher and theologian. And when we come back, we will hear his own personal walk-up song. the show. Ken Samples is my guest, a philosopher and theologian. I love that song. It's perfect for Ken. All right, Ken, I want to dig into this whole idea that we have probably three lives, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. And how those blend together is going to be the topic of the discussion today. You can certainly let us know. If you've got a question for us, 877-933-2484. 
eight for. But maybe, Ken, we can just talk about the three different uh, areas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Marquez, uh, again, a, a Nobel laureate uh, in the area of uh, literature, he, um, in one of his writings, uh, he said everyone has three lives, a public life, a private life and a secret life. And I, I heard that actually on a television program I watch, uh, kind of like this uh, 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 cop show on Friday nights called Blue Bloods. And that quote came out and I thought, well, is that really a, a an actual quote? So I looked it up and uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting idea that we have three lives, a public life, a private life and a secret life. So what would a public life be? A public life would be what people generally know about you. So people you go to work with, people you go to school with, people outside of your your home. This is kind of the general context. So this is how people generally uh, view you. Then your private life would be a, a life that you share only with you, kind of your inner circle, maybe your family, your close friends. This would be things about you that only a select number of people know because you reveal it to them. But then kind of the interesting one is that we have a secret life. And the secret life would be things that maybe only we know about ourselves or, and I, I think that this is provocative, it may be that there are things that are true in our life that we don't even know. Uh, now, of course, the context of all of that, I think there are philosophical, theological uh, implications because Scripture tells us that God knows the secret things. And, uh, you know, that secret life, I, I'll give you an example. I remember when my father passed away, I was, I was pretty depressed. And so I had a, a professor who was a, who was a, a psychologist, and I spent some time talking with him and counseling with him. And I, I remember telling him some of the tension that I had in my family and that I, I felt kind of angry and frustrated. And I remember the counselor saying, well, you know, sometimes when you are angry, it's because you want something and you're not getting it. And there was this light that went on. <laughs> and I thought, wow, it kind of illuminated something that was kind of on the secret level. Uh, and of course, uh, there are lots of implications here. Sin tends to compartmentalize our lives. You know, to be an ethical person, you have to allow uh, who you are to extend in your public, private, and secret life. But, but sin tends to compartmentalize, and we often try to hide things. Uh, we may hide them even from our spouse, even from our children, our best friends. So I think that this is a very powerful idea. Not everybody agrees on exactly how these things are interpreted in tide of Marquez, but I think this kind of gives us a little light about the human condition, that there's the way people see us, then there's the way a few people see us, and then there may be the way we are down deep. And of course, uh, the good thing or the bad thing is God sees that secret life as well. Mm, of course he does. Yeah, the big question is when you're alone with your thoughts, what are you thinking? And maybe those would be some of the private thoughts, and maybe not yeah. all of them are uh, very healthy. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, in many ways, our thought life is a, 
unless we express it. I mean, you're you're a talk show host. You express some of those thoughts, um, but a lot of our private, a lot of our uh, uh, thought life is a is a secret life. And uh, how do we how do we avoid compartmentalization? I mean, you know, you read a biography about people. When I was growing up. Um, uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated when I was a young boy. Um, he was almost treated as kind of a martyr. Uh, but then later, people started writing about his private life and then even the secret life. And I thought, wow, uh, is this something that's true of all of us, that there's the way people see us, there's the way a select company of people see us. But is there a secret life? And do we invite the Lord to shine his light? I mean, that secret life can be negative in that we, we may try to hide our sins, which we can never do. But it might also be an encouraging thing that maybe we have a lot of hurts that nobody knows except us. And maybe we don't totally understand them. But again, the Lord knows the pain that people feel deep in their life. Mm -hmm. Ken, wouldn't the enemy want us to keep our dark thoughts secret because sin can better fester in darkness? I think that's, I think that's a very clear idea that comes out of Scripture, that uh, the brokenness and the fallenness of our life and the real spiritual warfare that, that all people experience uh, that we're encouraged to compartmentalize, to hide, to keep it down, uh, instead of getting it out. And, and of course, uh, when people have addictions, when people have uh, struggles in their life, how encouraging it is sometimes to talk with somebody who has the same experience. Hey, I know what it's like to you know, to, to feel that craving to drink alcohol, or I know what it's like to, you know, to feel the pain of losing a loved one. But again, I, I think whether it is sinful acts or, or whether they're painful acts, there is a tendency to compartmentalize rather than to have an open life. Mm -hmm. Ken, do we, to some degree, present a little bit of an imposter to the world, if we get real honest with ourselves? I think we do. Um, I, 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 I think that we do. I think that um, I think the reality is that uh, to be a fallen human being, to be a person who is affected by sin, I think there is a there is a natural tendency uh, to live an inauthentic life. And uh, I think that you know, to be a moral person uh, and to be a truthful person, a loving person, is oftentimes requires a need to do very serious inspection. Mm -hmm. And and and, and uh, Bill, I would describe original sin as self-obsession. We are narcissistic by nature, um, and sometimes it's very difficult for narcissistic people to give an honest inspection. And I don't want to be—I uh, don't want to be inauthentic. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to to uh, to present something that is—it is not the case. But of course, you also have to be very discerning about what you reveal about yourself in every context. Mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting, Ken, because the when I say present an imposter, I don't mean like you're presenting a phony. But you know, there's some days you'll get up and you'll feel 
even after a you know a nice time of devotion and quiet time with the Lord, you can still feel uh, agitated or short-tempered or whatever it is, and you can't present that to the world because you need to get along with people and you need to you know show up at work and be pleasant with one another. But deep down, you might just be just burning up inside. Well, you know what's interesting? Uh, I I wrote an article about hypocrisy. And, and I think there's two types of hypocrisy. There's hypocrisy with a lowercase h, and then there's hypocrisy with a capital H. Uh, hypocrisy with a lowercase h is just the, the general challenge in the Christian to, to live a, a life of obedience. There's the need to repent. There is the need to pray, to reflect. Um, it's the normal human experience. None of us can keep the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. None of us have loved God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. I don't think we've done it for a single day, let alone for our entire life. But then there's a capital H where people live double lives, and that's where the secret life is a totally different life, and it may be inauthentic. Uh, and, and, and this is why I thought this subject is so interesting that, you know, Christianity in some sense— I don't want to overstate this, but Christianity in some sense kind of produced the field of psychology. And the reason I say that is that it was Christianity in a, a biblical context that said, you do have an inner life. There is the life of the soul, the life of the mind. And, uh, uh, you know, there is that suke where we get psychology, that the kind of inner self. And I thought, wow, this when Marquez said we had three lives, he was saying something, I think, very profound. Yeah, indeed. All right, Ken, I've got a question here. We've got to take a break in about 90 seconds. Uh, a listener said, the three lives, how do we pray for discernment for ourselves and the relationships we're in to stay deeply rooted in Christ and be aware of our sin flesh? It's a great question. It is. It's such an honest question, and I, I greatly appreciate it. I I think the first thing, Bill, that I would say to that is I, I think we need to allow God's Spirit, and God's Spirit works uniquely through God's Word to speak to us. And I know when I read Scripture and pray Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, He speaks to me both in a public context and a private context, and there are times He reaches into that secret life. So uh, Scripture is like no other book. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a book where God's Spirit speaks to us. Yeah. We're talking to Ken Samples, and we're chatting today about the three uh, different kinds of lives we possibly all live, the public life, the private life, and the secret life. If you have a question or comment you'd like to uh, make, let me know what it is. You can send me a text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back with Ken Samples.
Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest. We're talking about, does everyone have three lives? Hmm. It's a great topic, and I'm finding this fascinating. And it would be a public life, a private life, and a secret life. And as we're uh, chewing through this, uh, Ken, it's um, wondering how well we stream life these three together, streamline these three together. Yeah, very important there because uh, integrity doesn't work well when you keep things in sharp compartments. The idea of integrity is that there is a consistency, a harmony that that runs through the different spheres of, of our life. And again, uh, the point you made earlier, that there is a real sense within Scripture that you know, the, the dark parts of our life, we try to keep in the corner. We don't want people to see them. Sometimes we don't want to see them ourselves. Um, but there is, of course, uh, that biblical theological idea that God sees the secret things. And I think if we can be conscious of the fact that there's the way we appear to people in public, then there's the, you know, our 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 select uh, group of people that we share with, and then there is that side of ourselves. Um, I think if we can have doors and windows, I mean, I often joke, but it, it really is a very serious point that I say original sin is evidenced when you read the anonymous comments uh, that are made on <laughs> social media, I mean, or on the web. Yeah. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Where Where is that sense of meanness or uh, that, or sometimes even worse, a sense of despair. Mm -hmm. I've done a fair amount of work with uh, men in recovery from drugs and alcohol, and, and in the in the twelve step program, there is an opportunity where you make a list of all your wrongs, and then you pretty much confess what you've done. And it's been yeah. interesting because usually what you do is um, you hear them, and then when they're done, I, I say, like I might run to the bathroom, and then when I come back. Tell me the three things you didn't tell me. And they, yeah. usually, they usually come out with three of the of the most harm, um, hardest, most painful things that they didn't even want to say in the first the first round. That's you know that's so interesting. I mean, you know when you think about that third life, when you think about the secret life, I mean. It's not just that there may be some negative things inside us that that are not pretty, and we don't want to show them maybe even to our family or friends, and we certainly don't want it to be seen in public. But it could also be that there are things lurking that we're not even aware of. I mean, people drink and take drugs sometimes for reasons they're not totally aware. Mm -hmm. and And there are times where counseling and dialogue and, you know, having meetings where people can share, hey, I, I'm going to let this out. And then you then you recognize, you know, there is a common humanity. Uh, maybe not all of us struggle with, uh, with alcohol or with drugs, but we all struggle uh, with, with a variety of things. Mm -hmm. So when you think about uh, having the integrity where your public life and your private life and your secret life is all pretty much one and the same, you know, you think of the of the Christians who will live a certain way at church, and then on the golf course they might be open to telling jokes they'd never tell in church. So all of a sudden you go, "Ooh, I guess you do have a more of a public life and then more of a private life." And um, it's uh, maintaining integrity through this process. Um, 
Ken, maybe you would talk about that. Yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things, Bill, that I thought about as we have been under quarantined and, and now in light of the social unrest, is I, I thought to myself, um, uh, I think it was the philosopher Rousseau who said that most men l- live lives of quiet desperation. And it made me think, uh, Marquez's quotation made me think, when I see people in public or when I talk with uh, friends or when I go to church, what what's in the secret life? What's brewing, you know, down there? I, I think that the way of working through and, and having more of a uh, interconnected life, uh, a life of integrity, a, a life of moral consistency, it does take a, a painful honesty. Uh, it it does take courage, but it, but it also takes the grace of God. Because again, part of that secret life is there could be secrets we don't even know. I mean, you know, the aha moment I had, you know, I was angry, but I didn't I didn't recognize what that, what that anger really meant. Mm-hmm. I had expectations that weren't being fulfilled. Uh, and I wasn't sure why I was angry. Well, you know, we live at a time where there's an epidemic of loneliness, where people feel like, hey, I'm alone in the world. Nobody knows the, the hurt. Uh, think of it in the context of what's happening in, in the world today. There, there are people who feel like, hey, I'm, I'm not treated fairly. I'm not treated like the majority. Um, I, I think honesty, uh, I think that uh, courage, but the great need for spiritual renewal that that we can't we can't make ourselves uh, we, we can't give ourselves integrity. We have to open ourselves to God's grace that that heals and, and transforms and forgives. I think that that is the that is the way we we grow uh, in the Christian life and 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 the way we grow as mature human beings. Mm-hmm. Ken, I was just thinking what you said about loneliness. You know, when I think about what happens in the face of loneliness, um, might you be even more tempted to compartmentalize your life and make sure that you don't share too much of a uh, secret life with people because you can't risk being lonelier. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I, when I talk about courage, it takes a great deal of courage uh, to to open yourself. And there is always, of course, the concern that if I open myself, I may end up regretting it uh, because it may get spilled and people may not handle uh, the secret things of my life with the care and compassion and empathy that I'd like them to uh, yeah, it is. It, it's not a, It's not an easy process. But both you and I have worked in fields where people are struggling with things, and sometimes, sometimes when we know that other people struggle with the same thing we struggle with, the sense of empathy. I know how you feel. I mean, Bill, this is the great thing about historic Christianity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity has taken human nature. He knows what it's like to be human. And in Philippians 2, it says he became a bondservant, which couldn't be translated, he became a slave. That is, Jesus had family issues. Jesus had friends who betrayed him. Uh, Jesus faced pain and 
and uh, people people misunderstood him. The great thing about going to your knees is you can talk to God, and because of the incarnation, because God became man in Jesus Christ, God knows what it's like to be a human being and to be a hurting human being. Because mm-hmm. aren't fair to say, Ken, where well, many are afraid of rejection, they're scared of rejection by people and by God. Oh, I mean, here you're in that secret area. You you come up with enough courage to admit it, and right. maybe somebody somebody is insensitive, doesn't handle it, and it's like, wow, where do I go from there? I've I've tried to be a person of integrity. Yeah, you know, it takes it takes a lot of moral courage to be a person of integrity, but God is in the business. Uh, of forgiving us and in the business of transforming us. Mm-hmm. And I would say that there is many listeners that I've heard from who have fears of betrayal or abandonment, and maybe even by God. Have I done enough? Am I safe in his arms? Uh, will I make it in the end? I think that's exactly right, Bill. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian apologist, and I talk about people having doubts. There are times people have doubts that are related to facts and information. You know, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is there evidence that the Bible is true, that God exists? But Bill, I actually think a lot of people have doubts because they not sure they can trust. They have emotional doubts. I'm not sure I can, I can be straight. I can be open about these issues. And of course, if you have had a father or a mother that you feel has abandoned you, well, you know, I love the I love the term father, my heavenly father. But I had a strong father. It wasn't always easy to deal with, but my dad was a strong father. But what if you don't have that sense? What if you feel a sense of betrayal? I think, Bill, I think a lot of unbelief, a lot of doubt is based upon these inner lives rather than our rather than necessarily our intellectual issues although that's there as as well yeah that's really interesting so i'm talking to ken samples and we're talking about the three different kinds of lives do we all have three different kinds of lives like a public life a private life and a secret life and i'm curious listeners if you think that you're willing and able to uh divulge you can just say, yeah, I'm not lining up all three together. I, I'm, I'm living a little bit of a secret life right now because I've heard from those listeners as well who have admitted to me. So I'm just curious if you feel like those are lined up in your world, the public life, the private life, and the secret life. I heard someone uh, once say, Ken, that, you know, if you uh, like the black box on an airplane, you can always figure out what was said last and if we each had a black box, what would be the words and the thoughts and the expressions that live in that thing? Well, isn't that isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I like it when I I get you know I get to hear presidents and they've recorded some of their inner thoughts, and I think, wow, what you know what prompted that? What what was happening there? But again, I think that this this is a this is a very powerful element. There is the human condition. We are both, uh, we're great and wretched, as Pascal said, great because we're made in God's image, wretched because we're fallen. Uh, what does what that reveal, and uh, how do we sort through it? Mm-hmm. 
So we have this unity of our three lives, the public, the uh, private, and the secret. And I'm going to take a little break, but when I come back, I want to ask Ken about uh, how we as believers, how, how do we restore the unity of these three? So we're all just one big, um, happy, streamlined, public, private, and secret life that they're just, they all work together. And if you uh, want to let me know how you're doing in that department, you send me a text. Love to hear from you. 877-933-2484-933-2484. Be back in a minute. Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a theologian and philosopher. And I always hope I express myself well, Ken, but sometimes I, I don't. So here's a listener. Um, it says, uh, Hi, Bill. Although by God's grace, I don't live a secret life any longer. I did live a secret life for a very long time. Because of that, I often have doubts about just what you're talking about. In the end, will God hold true and take me to, to heaven? I know I don't deserve it. I often see Jesus and the Father as good cop, bad cop. I know I shouldn't, but I do struggle overcoming this. Jesus is just so full of forgiveness, but facing the Father scares me. Hmm. Well, I talk about honest. Wow, that's uh, that's really really authentic. <laughs> it sure is. Straightforward. I I appreciate that. Um, you know, Bill, kind of tying that comment to what you said before the last segment, uh, how do we how do we unify? How do we work through this? There is a common statement in my own theological tradition when we talk about the Christian life. We call it the three G's, guilt, grace, and gratitude. You know, when I read... Um, when I read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's depiction of love. Sometimes it's hard to make it through that that chapter. I, you know, I I put my name in there instead of love. Ken is kind. Ken is doesn't keep a record of wrong. Ken is patient. And I think, wow, I'm I'm having a hard time making through here. <laughs> or, or I'll go to Galatians five and look at the fruit of the spirit, and I think, wow, uh, these are difficult. Well, uh, the law has a tendency to by its very purpose, show us the hypocrisy, show us the incompleteness, uh, show us the rebellion. But but then the, the next G needs to step in, and that's grace. And salvation is the unmerited gift of God. We, we are saved not by anything we've done. Salvation is a gift. E- even the good works that inevitably flow from it uh, are not meritorious. And so as guilty as we are, then we, we have been given God's grace. Uh, and, and then the third G, gratitude. Uh, that's, that's where I, I want to live by grace. That, that's when I'm not afraid to talk about my secret life. I'll, I'll tell you a brief story. I remember uh, I taught at a church for almost 20 years, and I remember the last day— uh, where I was moving on, and I, a couple ladies came up to me, and they said, you know, Ken, one of the things we most like about you is that you would talk about some of your struggles. You know, I, I said, for example, I would contrast my wife. 
I said, my wife and I, my wife almost has a natural tendency to forgive. And I said, I sometimes struggle. I'll, I'll, I want to hold a grudge. And the two ladies said, you know, we thought that when you would talk about what you struggle with, and God obviously loves you, we thought maybe God could love us. And I, I think that guilt, grace, gratitude is a, is a very, very powerful thing. The good news is it's not going to be easy to stand before the Father and allow him to make a judgment of our life and to offer rewards or potentially have things burned up. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. But remember, uh, it's, it is your Abba Father. It is the Father who sent the Son into the world. It's the Father and the Son that send the Spirit. They're allies. They're on our side. Uh, and even if they have critical things to say, I mean, my, I, I will let my wife say critical things to me because I know of her love and her commitment to me. And uh, I think we need, to, we need to see who the Father is in light of the Son and in light of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, another listener, a great listener named Paul, said, um, I would be curious to have Ken uh, uh, say what, working on those lineups, any suggestions about lining these up? He says, I don't think I have any hidden secrets. It's more accepting who I am in Christ and how to have balance in my shortcomings. Well, I appreciate Paul. I appreciate his comments. He's a good man. Uh, I, I think that I think reflection is important, and and again, it's not it's not always easy to be honest about ourselves. We have to work at it, but it but it also has to be done with grace. We have to allow the Lord to look into our life, and again, He can do that through His Word. He does that through His Spirit. Uh, 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 so reflection, a type of confession, where we uh, you know. There's a story about Martin Luther when he was in the monastery before he became the great Protestant reformer. He'd be in confession for four or five hours, searching his heart. Uh, he realized there's something, something I can't work out. Hmm. Uh, reflection, confession, repentance, uh, and then, and then accepting the grace of God that, that you you have to live with a a link a commitment, a trust that God loves you even in the midst of repeated failures. That's, that's living by grace, living, trusting that God's love, uh, God's love is, is not based upon circumstance. And again, that's, that's living of the whole Christian life. None of us are there. None of us are perfect. All of us, clergymen, professors, talk show hosts, Anybody and everybody, we struggle with these things. Indeed we do. Very interesting comment you made about Luther, who would spend a great amount of time in repentance, soul-searching. You know, he saw who he was and he saw who God was, so it, he had that great um, struggle, which is a beautiful thing, because I think the more you see who you are and the more you see who God is, the more you repent. I think so. I, you know, I, I have a book called Classic Christian Thinkers. There's a chapter on Luther, and I, I say in that book, Bill, that I wish every patriarch and pope and, and bishop and, and cardinal and priest and minister and elder 
that every person would recognize Luther's spiritual struggle. I mean, he thought by joining the Augustinian monastery, he would resolve all of his problems. It only got worse. That is, echoing C.S. Lewis, uh, you only know how bad you are when you try really hard to be good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you, as you started examining these three lives, Ken, I know that you did some, you know, great soul searching on this. Um, where are you today from when you started this little exploration? Well, there there are times when uh, there are times when I realized how tightly compartmentalized I'd like to be. That is, these are not things that that change easily, and so there are times where I think, "Wow, uh, this is this is a bigger challenge than I than I realize." But I, but I also, in looking at that secret life, I, I think there's two things that have come out of it. And again, one, of course, always is that our, our rebellion, our brokenness, our darkness always wants to, you know, you pick up a big rock and all these little, little bugs come running out. Um, well, people like to stay in the shade. They like to be covered up. Uh, I struggle with that. But, you know, something that I think, Bill, is even more important is it is it is wonderful to know that I'm not alone, that God is with me, that God is there, that he knows everything about me. He knows my he knows my he knows that I've missed the mark. He knows that I've broken the commandment. He knows the weaknesses and the difficulties, but his love and his forgiveness and his grace is constantly renewed. And so in one sense, uh, opening up that secret life can bring us a greater peace with God. Mm-hmm. I guess because that's the, the, it's got the word secret in it, uh, maybe it's the hardest one to define. Um, so do you have any things that you could point to that would suggest secret life? Well, you know, I, I don't want us to leave the idea that it's it's possible there are things about us that we don't even know. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that That is, that secret life need not just be, there are things I know about Ken that I don't want Bill to see and I don't want Bill's listeners to see, mm-hmm. but there could also be things in there that we don't see ourselves, and that's where I think... Uh, I think this idea of integrity means that God is able to to shine his light. And so I think that's one of the remarkable things about Scripture. Uh, I love—I mean, I've read thousands of books. I am a bookish person. I love books. But there's only one book that, that speaks to my public life, my private life, and my secret life— and um, it 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 both convicts me, and also gives me hope, and gives me a sense of God's goodness. Mm. Ken, I so enjoy having you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, coming on monthly and sharing with my listeners. It's just wonderful having you on the program. Well, thank you for taking this time to talk about this topic. I really appreciate it, Bill. I've loved it, and I know listeners, uh, they really perked up, and I know uh, by the comments that came in that uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, that there are three lives that we probably all have, public, private, and secret, and how we live with integrity, and and 
live in a way that we don't compartmentalize them. It's been interesting, yeah. really interesting. Well, blessings, brother. It's always wonderful to be with you and uh, say hello to Rebecca for me. I will indeed. Hey, Rebecca. Hi, Ken. Hi, there Bill. she is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say the word, Ken, and I'll do it. All right. Ken Samples, again, has been my guest. You can head to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. And he's written a number of books. And I would say each one of them you're going to want to own in your library. So we'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have a fantastic hour with Jeff Redorn. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.